0: 1942, a crack commando unit were dispatched to the UK to help the allied forces in the war against the Axis powers. Together, they became the finest fighting force ever seen in that man's war. If you have a mission, if that mission is impossible, and if you can get them to follow orders, maybe you can send in the Howling Commandos.
1: Hey kids, go
0: Everybody. Hello, everyone. Is that better? It's better. Good. I'm, I'm glad that you're, you're happy about that. Um, a little bit of business before we begin this week's thoroughly entertaining show. He mm-hmm. said, "Hopefully." You, what are you even in, not even Not I'm just pushing the thing down. <laughs> I was putting in a note to remind myself to talk about Facebook. Okay. Okay. Just generally it's filth, isn't it? <laughs> Absolute filth. No. If you are a friend on Facebook, you may have noticed. I, didn't get any made it, oh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. That I've started putting a few pictures up that complement every, every week's show. So last week I put up a couple of pictures of the vault, you know, the Batman yeah, Superman, and the one Spider-Man, in our heart. and the one of us in our hearts, yeah. And weeks before that I put some Batman stuff up when we were talking about Batman. And I thought, let's use this social media thing to be, you know, social and meteorific yeah so you know at some point we may even put videos up you never know Mm -hmm. maybe videos we should do videos we should do videos Yeah, maybe maybe a monthly thing yeah well we could have a YouTube channel and we could make cash and we could pack in working for a living Mm -hmm. that would be absolutely awesome I think anything anything else this week you've not met Tim Quinn or Grant Morrison or nobody interesting at all No. no I've not met anyone interesting what have I been doing this week I don't know oh I've been reading comics That'll come yeah. as a surprise to you. Jeff Jones is flattering. he's still good. Mm-hmm. I'm nearly up to issue 200. It's very entertaining. Scott Snyder's Batman is still good. Are you still are you rereading that now? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, we'll just get some... Should we just fire some emails off? Okay. Okay, we'll fire some emails off. The first one just says, Happy Birthday. It's from Damien General Lee. Just put the show on and heard it's the young'un's birthday. Many happy returns. Now you can vote, drink and pay taxes. <laughs> tax you have to be working to pay taxes. Congrats and may you not abandon your dad to skip off to uni too soon. Well,
2: thank you very much.
0: Well I can't for, no, for another six, six months. Six years. to nine months anyway. So that's it, as soon as the six months are over, that's it. Yeah, pretty much. We've already mean your mum have already decided you're on your own now, dude. Oh am I? Yeah, yeah, you want money, you have gonna go out and earn it. I'm great. That's the way it works. Thanks, Damien, for that. Our email section this week is largely G. I. Joe centric. Our first email says, Yo, Joe, it's the lovely Luke Jack Yo, Hello, Hello, Luke. I always wait to see if he talks back, <laughs> which must be some kind of definition of insanity. It, yeah. Uh, in fact, it'd be more scary if he actually did <laughs> <Yeah>. one. <laughs> one. day I'll do that and Luke will go, Hey, man, <laughs> <laughs> I'm freaked out. Uh, the email begins, Turn Did that scare you? That's good, Anya. You stood here for some reason. No, Glad you guys enjoyed the G.I. Comics. G.I. Joe comics, I should say. Sorry about that, which Jay, David, and I suggested. Personally, I figured you would both like the dogfight between Ace and Wild Weasel, so it pleased me to see that my prediction was correct. I do want to talk about Larry Harmer's work on G.I. Joe briefly. Harmer is a veteran, and even though the assignment was not his choice, the story goes that no one else wanted it, so he got it. He approached it as a serious assignment. He strove to always portray combat as dangerous and not glamorous, to be respectful of the armed forces and not jingoistic. There is a line in the first issue which is indicative of this and also of the editorial interference he sometimes faced. Hawke had a line in the script which went, a soldier's job is to do the impossible and then be forgotten. The line, as it appeared thanks to editorial, was, A soldier's job is to do the impossible and make it look easy. This really rankled Hammer and there is no other real instances of such overt jingoism in the series. It's odd that he mentions that, because do you remember when we were reading that issue? Yeah. I said, it's all pretty good and there's very few eye-rolling moments. That was the one I said to you, that was a bit... Uh. Yeah. So it's interesting that Harmer's original line wouldn't have made me roll my eyes. Mm-hmm. Whereas the one editorial put in made me go, oh, oh well, they can't all be gems, can they? <laughs> Luke continues, in regards to issue 34 in particular, Wild Weasel is a relatively minor Cobra character, but a quite memorable one. He is a vicious, grizzled operator, a long-time veteran mercenary pilot from the African Bush Wars. And since Harmer wrote all of the character file cards for the toys, there was great continuity between the toys and the comics, as we see with Weasel, who was packaged with the Cobra Rattler, naturally. Well, we said that, didn't we? You think he comes with the toy helicopter? Yeah. Similarly, Similar, similar, similar. Cobra Commander is described in the original file card as the most dangerous man in the world, and Hammer would build up the mythology behind this seemingly ordinary man who was able to, through sheer force of will and burning resentful hatred, create an organization able to overthrow governments and wage war all over the world. Character is what drives GI Joe as a property, and leaving Hammer on board for this entire run cemented this. A question. As long as your son has burned hot. I have awaited a question. Uh, as younger men, would you have read a British style series in this same vein? I'd have read G.I. Joe. Mm. I think I said at the time, if if I'd have been picking that up as a tween, I would have been at that point, wouldn't I? Between twelve and something or other, mm. I'd have probably read that because it seemed like a perfectly exciting comic to me. Mm-hmm. Um, a British one would have been very different. Action man. Yeah, well, not so much action, man, but we're we're just deeply cynical by yeah. nature, aren't we?
2: Well, what do we have, the... The the SAS. Ah, oh, bloody hell. Oh, I've got to do some sneaking missions. Oh, cool, blog me.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think a, a, our version of something like that would be very different.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And probably a lot bleaker and darker, even if it was written for kids. Yeah. Because a lot of our kids' shows are quite dark. Even
2: though our wildly confusing.
0: Yeah, possible. Perhaps instead of being drawn from the branches of the US Army, elite fighting force pulled from the armed forces of the UK and the Commonwealth. For what it's worth, there was a British member of the Joe team, Big Ben. What a great name. A tough as nails SAS man who specialised in subversive operations. There was also a three and a three-quarter inch Action Man figure made in a later iteration of the line, which is pretty cool. The story for this was that Action Man is an international secret agent who teamed up with the Joe team on a mission that i read... Yeah. I'd read Action Man teaming up with G.I. Joe as long as we didn't get any Percy Pinkerton-esque dialogue. <laughs> that would be perfectly fine. Thanks again, Luke. You're very welcome. Uh, that one was for you and David. Next email. G.I. Joe Knowledge Bomber. If knowing is half the battle, the other half is not dying. Which is from Michael Bailey. Hello, Michael. Hey, Monkey Mike and Indiana Andy. I quite like Indiana, Indiana Andy, Andy. Andy. Indiana Andy. Yeah. Indiana. Yeah. Andy Jones. I quite like that. Searching down the Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> In Birmingham, you really searching it,
2: though. Yeah, it's not very vague. <laughs> take, take Indiana the <laughs> Film; but it's still the same. No, it isn't. It is. No, it isn't. The Nazis would still get. No, married.
0: no, 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 no. Indiana? Without Indiana Jones, right? They wouldn't have been digging in the wrong place at all. Because it's only Indy's interference that caused them to get the staff of Ra on one hand. So, without Indiana Jones, they would have found the Ark earlier than they did. And they only found it when they did, because they found Indy, right? Right. And without Indiana Jones being there at all, (laughs) the Ark of the Covenant would still be in a dusty cave somewhere in the middle of Tunisia or wherever it was filmed. Okay. So, no, I'm not having none of that. (laughs) I'm not having no Big Bang Theory filth on my show. I'm not having any Big Bang Theory filth either. Because that's where it's come up again. As it? Penny points out that Indiana Jones is useless in Raiders of the Lost Ark. He doesn't do anything. Right. And Sheldon has a fit. See, you're the one who knows that. I, but I haven't seen it. No. But I've I've heard it discussed and I, I didn't agree with it. No, fair enough. So. Anyway, back to Mike's email. This is a long one, that's what she said. So, uh, you can edit it if you want to. My feelings won't get hurt. Well, we've trimmed it slightly, Michael. Not a lot. Hopefully you're, you're the gist is still in there. I listened to your G.I. Joe episode today and thought I would write in to add to the discussion. G.I. Joe is a fascinating licensed comic. Hasbro decided to bring the line back in 1982 to capitalise on the success Kenner was having with Star Wars and wanted to get it out before 1983 when Return of the Jedi would be released and no doubt dominate the toy market. The execs at Hasbro went to Marvel to produce the tie-in comic and in a meeting that included Jim Shooter and Archie Goodwin the people at Marvel were shocked to learn that not only did the characters not have proper names the production models were labelled Communications Officer and Commando and such but that there was no enemy to fight so some quick thinking on the part of the people at Marvel introduced the concept of of Cobra, which Archie Goodwin suggested. Cobra! Denny O'Neill, in a later but similar meeting for Transformers, would give Megatron his name. I do hope they get paid Mm, for this. I would suspect they don't. Yeah.
2: So it is literally Hail Cobra then?
0: Yeah. Cobra! Larry Hammer was tapped in to write the project. He reworked an idea he had for a Nick Fury Jr. series and reworked it for the Joes. Hammer had served in the military in the late 60s so he had a handle on the culture though he needed to do some research to bring the series to a more contemporary audience. He created the perfect military soap opera where characters had rich backstories that weaved in and out of each other. Generally all roads led to Snake Eyes who was used heavily in the comic but was nearly non-existent on television because mute characters apparently don't play well for a kid's cartoon. His relationship with Sky. It was one of my favourite elements from the series, so much so that after I started reading the comic, I had a hard time with the animated series. The Snake Eyes thing didn't end, though. Frankly, if you look at his entire backstory as a whole, all-in-one sitting, you'll want to shoot yourself. It was some seriously dark stuff. When I said that all roads led to Snake Eyes, I wasn't kidding. The Baroness, a character Hammer created on Patty Hurst, blamed Snake Eyes for the death of her brother, which led her to becoming a terrorist and hooking up with Destro, or Box from Logan's Room <laughs> Cobra Commando had been a failure all his life, and after losing his brother and family, started thinking that the whole system was broken and he was the man to bring it down. He starts a company that sells cleaning products door to door, and based on the wealth of that endeavor, you can make a lot of money doing that. You can make enough money selling cleaning products door-to-door to to start up a major international terrorist network that brings down governments apparently yeah where do we sign (laughs) in fact Cobra Commander was the man that hired Zartan to kill Snake Eyes and ended up killing a member of the Arshikarj clan that made perfect sense to me (laughs) it did (laughs) all of this was ostensibly a tie-in comic aimed at getting a little more money out of the concept the comic holds another distinction and one I find personally amusing and satisfying G.I. Joe was the first comic book to have full-fledged television commercials but in all honesty selling the comic was excuse the pun half the battle (laughs) Ah, very clever see there was a law at the time that dictated how much animation could be used in a toy commercial presumably this was to prevent little Johnny or Jane from seeing something in a cartoon and then being disappointed as hell when the toy didn't live up to the expectations I joke that this is treating kids like idiots but frankly given how some of my generation react to the fandom in general I would totally see someone complaining as an adult because the toy wasn't like the commercial. Hasbro found a way around this by producing commercials for certain issues of the comic. And wouldn't you know it, that comic had a bunch of toys they wanted to sell in it. So let's show the vehicles and characters in the commercial and maybe that would generate some sales. Hammer was mostly unfazed by this. He remarked later that it was just hard to find a way to make the Arctic gear, the jungle vehicle and the desert vehicle all work in the same story. But he muddled through. The commercials are a hoot and I recommend checking them out on YouTube, which I think we did no that was a public service right yes no no Mike sent a Facebook link when we did the show and I did look at them but that's going back weeks ago now yeah we should have done that and actually done an audio commentary for it on the show like we did with the PSAs last week Harmer also wrote nearly all of the file cards that came with the toys as Luke just said he was the one that created the basic personality of nearly every Joe and Cobra. At one point, the execs decided they could do it just as easily and cheaper and tried. Soon after that, Harmer was back writing the cards. Yeah, because uh, could they not do it then? Uh, he thanks us for the great episode, you're very welcome. Uh, if you do tackle some more comics, I would suggest issue 26 and 27 of the original series, as well as the Snake Eyes declassified mini-series that Brandon Jerwa wrote a few years back that detailed the man's origin. Great read. Depressing as hell, but a great read. <laughs> So Michael's recommending us stuff that will make us end it all. Yeah, fair enough. Regards, Mikey Mike B. Yeah, yeah, we're very welcome. Speaking of Michael, Mikey Mike, Michael B. Michael Our Michael, preacher Michael episode B. went up. Yeah, so go and check it out. I believe it is awesome. It,
2: it was pretty. Awesome, it, was, yeah. it was. It was. If you like
0: chickens, I anyway. know. <laughs> TC and the Chicken <laughs> spin-off TV show, <laughs> waiting <laughs> to happen. It's a
2: shame we uh, saw an end.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's a shame. I mean, we just bring in another chicken, don't we? DJ and the bird is that when bird dies I think uh, no speaking of Michael Michael recommended a podcast to me called Trentus Magnus Punches Reality and it's one of those shows that make me want to stop doing this ok because it was so good it's snarky and funny but also thought provoking and intelligent so if there's no more episodes of A Kids Comics go and blame Trentus Magnus it's a really good show, it's really fun, really enjoy it uh, next email so thanks Michael for recommending that it's excellent how oh, I did that segue and then jump back, yeah, and then carry on. Uh, Cobras and thugs. Rob Stubbs. Hi, Rob. Hello, Mr. Leyland and Mr. Leyland. Because you are now. Because you're 18. I am. On a general knowledge aspect, the term Joe became a generic application in America for a soldier in the multiple branches of military service during World War II, which is why the original toy line has the name. I come at the G.I. Joe series from the Sunbow cartoon side of things, which I watch all the episodes of from the original miniseries through the regular cartoon to the direct-to-video release movie. The tagline of, knowing is half the battle, which formed the educational at the end of every episode aspect of the show, became something that even today people still use. We use it, and we never even watch G.I. Joe. Uh-huh. I think the comics had it easier as they weren't being mandated to follow the Cobra Commander is really an operative from a hidden society of snake people trying to take over the world plot of course the fact that storyline gave me one of my favourite lines to use from the movie lies, all lies makes no difference the comic book Cobra Commander is a man who wants revenge on the world for mistreating him he finds light-minded souls in the town of Springfield which forms the core of what will one day be Cobra <laughs> I love the idea that he goes and interrupts in the Simpsons to help him. Simpsons did it. Yeah. G.I. <laughs> Joe did it. In the two issues you covered, the silent one was really good. The other one with the air battle between Cobra and G.I. Joe sounds good with an enemy ace sort of feel to it. I think the idea of Cobra putting their airbase near a government's air base makes sense, because if anyone sees one of their aircraft flying around, it'll get reported to the authorities, who will just blame all those yahoos from the military. Sumbo's cartoon series ran from 1983 to 87, which is the real American hero series. Deke ran cartoons from 89 to 91. Sumbo did a reboot with the G.I. Joe Extreme series in 2006, where they fought Scar, which ran from 95 to 96. Gonzo did Sigma 6, which ran from 2005 to 2007, and never finished during all the episodes in the United States. There's the written by Warren Ellis G.I. Joe Resolute in 2009, which is excellent. And finally, the G.I. Joe Renegades, which ran from 2010 to 2011, which had a very 80 feel to it what do you think Garth Ennis would make of a G.I. Joe story I don't know if he did it though everyone would swear and have sex a lot yeah maybe he wouldn't be that appropriate then yeah <laughs> Good him and do this. although I presume now it's not aimed at the same kids market that it was aimed at back then I guess it kind of is with the TV
2: with the new movies which have nothing to do with G.I. Joe I only saw the first one
0: I didn't like it Uh, As to Parker, I haven't read any of the Parker books, says Rob, although I have read most of the books Westlake wrote under his own name, so I didn't even know this was a graphic novel. I like the feel of the story. This isn't some romanticised version of crime where the bad guys have hearts of gold and could be just turned around if the right person could reach them. Parker is a thug who uses violence to get what he wants. I wonder if his wife hadn't been weak enough to commit suicide, what might have happened? Your American friend, Cobra! R.L. Subs Jr. Um, I don't know... Mm. Because he wouldn't have took her back, would he? No. Do you think? And he wouldn't have killed her himself. But he wouldn't have killed her, no. So I suspect he would have got his money and gone about his way and just kind of left her. Speaking of Parker, we did watch Point Blank, didn't we? Yes, we did. A 1967 John Borman movie starring Lee Marvin as Walker, not Parker. Texas Ranger. Yeah, Walker, Texas Ranger. For the first half, it was a moderately faithful albeit every, all the events were shuffled around. And the, the job was completely yeah, different. Yeah, the job was completely different, but it was a moderately faithful adaptation of the book. And then at the midway point, it just became, what? And then yeah. the ending made no sense at all. No, he just so. walks away and leaves the money. Yeah, it was nice to see Angie Dickinson with no on. Always nice to see that. Anyway, that'll do for emails for this week. We're going to take a break and we'll be right back.
3: Okay, wow, sorry I'm late. Let's see, what do we got here? Wow, this this is a lot more stuff than last time. All this for a new promo for Trendus Magnus Punches Reality. Okay, whatever. No, 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 I'm good. I'm good. I'm I'm ready. Let's just bash through this. I got a plane to catch it's for this year's golden headset awards uh word is my auditory orgasm of a podcast has been nominated for basically everything and because it's me we all know i'm going to win so i really can't be late for this yeah 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 let's let's roll it let's roll it trentis magnus punches reality Listen as Magnus discusses comics, movies, and TV shows. Trentus Magnus punches reality. It's like porn for your ears. Trentus Magnus punches reality. It's where awesome and epic go to relax after a long day. Trentus Magnus punches reality. After all... A million monkeys at a million typewriters can't be wrong. Trentus Magnus punches reality. Because deep down inside, you know Magnus is right. Trentus Magnus punches reality. The People's Comic Book Podcast. Trentus Magnus punches reality. Because fuck you, that's why. Trentus Magnus. Punches Reality every Tuesday at magnus.lipson.com Okay, great. Are we good? We good? We got everything? Alright, great. Thanks a lot. Whatever your name is. Bye.
0: And we're back. As Michael finishes eating his customary chocolate biscuit. Yeah. It is customary. It is, it's customary. You eat on a podcast, which I find repug- repugnant. I even did it on
2: a, with Michael Bailey that one time.
0: Did you? So you chomped your way I mean, through somebody else's podcast?
2: In fact. How he, professional? He, he did request.
0: He requested that you eat on his show. He might not have requested, but <laughs> he said. <laughs> what you mean is he said, I don't mind that you've eaten on my show, I can cut it out, you uncouth slob.
2: No, no, he said, I need to because I do on
0: our podcast. Alright, okay, was he trying to make you feel at home? I, I know you were at home quite literally yeah Yeah, fair
1: enough okay
0: and so lovely listeners a return for Hey Kids Comics to a character we've touched upon before but one I've really grown quite fond of Nick Fury Howling Commando Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. an all round supporter of the right to smoke wherever he damn well pleases Fury was covered on an earlier episode, so there's no real need to do the standard overview of the character and his place in the Marvel Universe. But if such a thing does interest you, I urge you to check out our previous episode on Fury covering one of his World War II adventures as a leader of the Howling Commandos. Available on twotruefreaks.com. We're getting right good at that, aren't we? Yeah. Some confusion still reigns, however, over Nick Fury. See, in recent years, there have been two Nick Furies. One, a Caucasian cigar-chomping, take-no-nonsense figure who fought in World War II. He was a mixture of Lee Marvin and John Wayne, took no guff and fought the good fight alongside his comrades to protect the free world from the tyranny of the Axis forces. Along the way, he morphed into James Bond, becoming Marvel's super-spy under the pencils of Jim Steranko, and took command of S.H.I.E.L.D., an acronym for Supreme Headquarters International Espionage Law Enforcement Division apparently an acronym by people who can't spell law enforcement, where he tackled numerous Cold War analogous bad guys and kept in step with the times. He even made the leap to other media being portrayed by David Hasselhoff in a TV movie slash failed pilot and making appearances in many of the Marvel animated series of the 90s. Over the years, Fury's continued vitality and youthful good looks have been attributed to his taking of the Infinity Formula, which prevented the onslaught of old age. The second Nick Fury bears more than a passing resemblance to actor Samuel L. Jackson and first appeared in The Ultimates in 2002. This post September 11th, 2001 makeover of The Avengers by Mark Miller and Brian Hitch was famed for its postmodern realism and cynical attitude, but in Fury burst its true breakout star. The ultimate accolade and the best example of Uruburus ever to appear in a comic was when it came time to cast Fury in the burgeoning Marvel movies. They turned, obviously, to Samuel L. Jackson, and this gave the character a higher profile in the mainstream than even the mighty David Hasselhoff could combat. With the casting of Jackson and his appearance in nearly all of the Marvel movies since Iron Man in 2008, I've long felt that Marvel would put the original Nick Fury out to pasture, and recently this seems to have come to pass. The Ultimate's version of Fury recently debuted in the Marvel Universe proper in the 2012 miniseries Battle Scars, where it was revealed that Fury had an illegitimate son who, conveniently, looks exactly like Sam Jackson. What are the odds? And at the end of this tale, Fury retires and Fury Jr. steps in as an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Add this to Garth Ennis' take on the character as a grizzled elderly war veteran in his two Fury miniseries, and it's not hard to connect all the dots. Add further to this, a recent announcement at New York Comic Con that Fury will be a large part of the upcoming Avengers Comics post-the-Infinity storyline, and I suspect we're about to see Fury breathe his last. And so, to celebrate the life and times of the Man from S.H.I.E.L.D., a two-part episode covering his entire illustrious career. From the World War II days and the high-octane adventure of the Howling Commandos, to the post-Bond Man from Uncle Influence 60s, where our man took over a top-secret CIA division, to his grizzled days as past his prime Cold War veteran, we hope to celebrate the original Nick Fury as we welcome his successor. It was a time where men were men, heroes chomps, cigars and a man's war needed fighting with nothing less at stake than the free world. Don't you just love it when a plan comes together? You do like the 18, tonight. The Howling Commandos is the 18, isn't it? Let's be honest. We're kicking off with another punch to the gut, courtesy of Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos, issue 18, Killed in Action, which was cover dated May 1965, and the cover pencils were by Jack Kirby and Chick Stone once again, states the cover, sudden death claims another victim. You will never forget the ending of this powerful war masterpiece. Intriguingly laid out, the cover is largely white with a blood red cover logo and one stark central image of Fury fighting. His GI uniform torn and tattered underwater against a Nazi adversary. Floaty heads surround him, but they're better and not as comical as usual. For one, Kirby draws them with shoulders as well, so they are more portrait shots than set and whilst all of them have concerned or shocked look on their faces, none are comically exaggerated. The eight figures surrounding the central image are Dum Dum Dugan, Dino Minnelli, Izzy Cohen, Pamela Hawley, Gabe Jones, Percy Pinkerton, Rebel Ralston and C.O. Happy Sam Sawyer. The story was written by Stan Lee with art by Dick Urz and Chick Stone and letters by Artie Simack, except the splash page and oddly the final page which were penciled by Kirby. I've no idea why. Maybe, maybe he just wanted a bit more money, so he said, give us a page. <laughs> maybe he had a spare minute yeah, in, yeah. B- in his schedule of drawing every single boot Marvel did at that time that wasn't named Spider-Man. <laughs> and so he, he thought, I'll just knock out a splash page. Yeah. Oh, and I like the script for this one. I'll draw the last page. Oh, but I can't bother drawing the rest. I've just, just seen both <laughs> the bits. Yeah, dick! But he doesn't get credited for the first page and the splash page. hmm so I just, I just thought that was very odd that he did the first thing of splash page. Did you like the cover?
2: It's a, well, it's a cover within a cover, really. Hmm. It's
0: fine. It's very similar to the covers they will do in the 70s. Hmm. I remember Marvel 70s cover where they're in like a box. So the artwork is just in a box in the bottom three quarters of the page. And there's a border on all yeah. the comics where the logo is. So, essentially, they're cutting down by a third the amount of cover art. Mm. So, I don't know if that meant it was cheaper to pay the artists, but I kind of suspect not. Sergeant Fury and his howling commandos face tragedy again, it says on the splash page. Killed in action, it says on the splash page. But who? A drama torn from the Holocaust of World War II, a tale you will never forget, says the splash page. The story itself begins like this Sergeant Fury and Pamela Howley are on a date when London is swept up in another air raid. Pamela runs off to join her ambulance unit whilst Fury spots an anti-aircraft crew under heavy fire. Fury joins the troops taking out a Nazi junker giving a much needed morale boost to the beleaguered British troops. With the threat neutralised, for now, Fury contacts Pam and after an all too brief conversation she asks the angels to watch over her wonderful American sergeant. Fury, emboldened by Pam's words, makes a life Changing decision. The Howlers notice the change in the sergeant's demeanour, as does happy Sam Sawyer, when Fury asks for a pass out for three days. Sawyer agrees, but only after the Howlers perform a special mission. Fury informs the Howlers they are heading to Norway, where a German carrier, the Deutschland, is playing havoc with shipping lanes. And with an earth strike out of the question, due to the location of the civilian populace, it's up to them to cripple the Deutschland. Arriving in Norway the Howlers plot their course of action but Dugan spots the engagement ring on Fury's dog tags leading the Howlers to tease their CO. Fury threatens to clobber the lot of them as they plot the best place to plant explosives to cripple the German operation and destroy the Deutschland. Capturing a German patrol, the Howlers break camp disguised as officers of the SS and Izzy is sent off to his location to plant his bombs whilst Red does the same and Fury heads to a third location aboard the ship. All have orders to set off the devices at a pre-arranged time regardless of if the team have made it back to the rendezvous. The operation almost goes without a hitch, but Fury is spotted and the fight ensues. Fury gains the upper hand, but the German Commandant grabs Fury's dog tags as Fury punches him into the sea, taking the engagement ring with him. Fury, livid, dives in after the ring as the rest of the Howlers make their way back to the rendezvous as the prearranged time for detonation approaches. Fury overcomes the Commandant and snags the ring, swimming for the shore as the Howlers blow the docks and the Deutschland straight to hell. Returning home, Giddy is a schoolboy, Fury heads to Pamela's home to propose, where he is told that Pamela was killed last night in another ur I
2: knew that was coming, I know you'd already ruined this issue for me.
0: How would I already ruin it if
2: I? Because you told me she died when we covered Fury before.
0: Did I? Yeah. If you're listening to this show for the first time, my <laughs> listener, and I spoiled it for you in the last Fury episode we did, I do apologise, but I've just spoiled it for you again yeah so you kind of you know the splash page begins with an air raid which could be slightly inaccurate the Luftwaffe began air raids on London in 1940 and spread out to key ports and cities across the UK including Birmingham Coventry, Southampton, Sheffield, Manchester, Liverpool, Hull and Glasgow. These attacks could last upwards of ten hours, but largely died off in 1941, after Hitler decided to spend more effort in trying to seize Russia. Ur raids did continue, although more sporadically into the later years of the war, so Pam and Nick may have just been unlucky. Air raid shelters. Woo! My nan used to go in air raid shelters. <laughs> what was that noise? That was me doing an air raid shelter noise, but it doesn't sound anything like that. I'll get one off the BBC web page and put it in.
1: Woo!
0: It was, uh, uh, something like that, I don't know. I mean, I'm, get a little gas mask, rush off to the o uh, shelter. Mm-hmm. Very impressive. Does the Mickey Mouse ones that look even more terrifying <laughs> than the actual gas mask? <laughs> Mickey Mouse gas mask for the kids, yeah. Um, it is sweet, the beginning of this issue, seeing Fury and Pam have a moment before parting to attend their various duties, and... Credit where it's due, Pam's dialogue's alright. Yeah. It? Pam's dialogue's okay. But the British Tommy's dialogue is god-awful. Are you jolly good at blighters? Oh, my dear, have you got the blighter? <laughs> it may have been historically accurate, but my God, that sounds awful today. <laughs> Doesn't it? Absolutely terrible. Because we all talk like that. Yeah, it's like, take cover, Yank! It's too late to stop him now! Ah, Kim, you're still here! It's my post. I'll never desert it. Now that's not too bad. No, not that sure. was all right, but you got the blighter by Jove! I don't know about you, <laughs> but I say by Jove every single day. Mm-hmm. There is not a day goes by in casual conversation that I don't say by Jove and blighter is and just... blighter. Yeah. that blighter! What a blackguard! You cad, <laughs> sir! Every every day. I talk like that. Do you not?
2: <laughs>
0: uh, there, Do your kids not talk like that There, are, there are some days. There where... are some days where you've just got to call somebody a blighter.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Somebody really, really <laughs> annoys you. Somebody really
0: that much. tickles you off.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. Somebody yeah. really
0: vexes you. Some hooligan just. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the hooligans. <laughs> um, they want this, I actually quite like this scene. Despite the dialogue in some of the places, it was nice to see a level of respect between the allies. And the art is a very faithful recreation of the Ju 87 Stuka dive bombers. But yeah, yes, yeah, so, yeah, some of that was a bit. So, good, <laughs> nice scene though. Yeah, you know, Fury blowing up a couple of German fighter planes. Never get bored of that. Oh, no, no. And it
2: makes up for him being all
0: soppy as well.
2: Yeah, being all soppy with Pam.
0: Yeah. yeah.
2: Oh,
0: Heart of, heart of mush. <laughs> Make that sure a not allowed to. No, no, he is a bit mushy in this issue. But that, that pillows into the story. I think that's quite interesting. Yeah. Uh, page three. The scenes where the Howlers can tell something's wrong with Fury nicely played, even if they don't twig exactly what it is that's up with him. And later on, Fury's light- writing a love letter to Pam and Bull McGivney. <laughs> the resident arsehole, essentially his version of Flash Thompson, yeah, yeah, yeah. for all intents and purposes, um, tries to take the letter out of his hand and Fury just punches him in the face That's without even recognising that he's done it.
2: Yeah, I-, I love how the letter's written. Now I understand the size of it. It's so that <laughs> to read. Yeah, but, it- r- ridiculously large <laughs> handwriting. My darling <laughs> Pam, I want you to know.
0: It does look a bit like Fury's written it in crayon. <laughs> Doesn't <laughs> it? <laughs> <laughs> Dear Palm and B the wrong way around <laughs> It isn't really. No. no, no. That. In in our head. It's that way around. I want you. <laughs> two <laughs> number two. B, letter yeah, no. B. <laughs> It's fury invented text week.
2: Ah, uh, they'll recruit anyone
0: <laughs> for this man's war. <laughs> Uh, Fury placing the ring on his dog tags for safety seemed a little bit silly. Yeah. Wouldn't it be much safer if he just, you know, left it in the barracks in his locker? Mm. Would that not have been safe? I mean, if they'd put a line in, he'd put it on his dog tags to keep it close to his heart, I'd have bought that. Need mushier, but... Yeah, but, you know, but I'd have bought it. No, I'll keep it safe by putting it on my dog tags. Yeah. Safe... Some strange usage of the word safe that I wasn't previously aware of.
2: Well, you only take him off when you're
0: dead. I mean, yeah, it, it wouldn't have had as much resonance if it hadn't been with him all the way through the story. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, you know, okay, we'll, we'll cut him some slightly. Page five. Fury is acting so mushy that Happy Sam Sawyer thinks that it's a double, which is purely coincidental, but plays in really nicely into the next story that we're going to cover. Mm-hmm. Can't be intentional. Probably not.
2: Unless... Definitely not, I would have thought. Unless S.H.I.E.L.D. were around at this part, uh, point, and they knew they wanted Nick Fury to, to lead them, and so they'd already created doubles of him.
0: That's a bit of a stretch.
2: Well, according to, to Jonathan Hickman, S.H.I.E.L.D. are really, really, really old, and Da Vinci was part of them.
0: Really? Yeah. Okay. Is, is that Jonathan Hickman's S.H.I.E.L.D. series? Yeah. No, I've not read that. As usual... For Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos, there's a nice line in dark humour, which was a hallmark of the series. Where Izzy bemoans that he has an excellent poker hand just as Fury orders him to ship out. He has a good whine about it and says, I had to kill myself. And Dugan points out that uh, if he lives long enough, the Krauts will be happy to do it for him. I mm. oh, it was really quite black for uh, this vintage of comic book. Page six, panel seven. One of the few times we're going to refer to an actual panel, but that panel though, looks like Jack Kirby. That doesn't look like Dick O's. Mm. That panel uh. Yeah. Last panel of the page. That's not a. That's a Jack Kirby face. Maybe Kirby did some panels. Some ghost inking. Yeah. Yeah, possibly. Then Tyler, mm. Or he did some redrawing. From page 7 onwards, did you not think that the Howling Commandos plan here seemed really rather reckless? I I don't know. In so much, there was a plan. I
2: found it pretty funny. Well. It it reminded me of the bit of Inglorious Bastards, Yeah. Where they disguise themselves as Italians.
0: (laughs) 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 Yeah. um, It's pointed out in the story that sending all seven of them on this mission seems a little bit like overkill. But I thought this seemed rather haphazard and very ill-conceived. Yes, it's funny. I'll give you that. But they don't seem to actually have a plan until they arrive there. They decide to steal some German uniforms when they get there, don't they? It's like, yeah. oh, should we steal some German uniforms and blend in with the crowd? Well, maybe they cross the bridges when they get there. That doesn't seem a particularly good way to run a covert operation to me. What's the plan, Sergeant? Oh, we'll worry about that when we get, though. It's nice in you Norway this time of year. We'll sit on a beach. That's
2: how covert it is, because not even, not even... That's they how covert even yeah. they don't know the
0: plan. <laughs> <laughs> All right, best okay. the Best of the best. Fair enough. No prize. They get in, they decide there and then were the best places to secrete the bombs for maximum impact, Well, surely it would have been better to have that planned out to begin with, where they were going to plant the bombs. Now I know this is a comic of the 60s, and action was the name of the game, but this feels like it would have been much better served as a more Mission Impossible style plot, with Fury and one or two of the Howlers say Dino, who can speak German Oh what passes for German, <laughs>
3: the German in this comic, so yeah.
0: And maybe Izzy, who seems to be the resident bomb expert, stealing aboard the Deutschland surreptitiously rather than the entire team doing an A team like run on the place. Especially Gabe Jones, who burly makes an appearance, and Percy Pinkerton, who likewise does bugger and all. Once they get over there, they don't they don't matter, do they? Is that Jesse's dad? Yes. His granddad. Hey, Jesse Jesse Pinkerton. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it was Pinkman wasn't it? <laughs> yes it wasn't Pinkerton maybe he shortened it maybe he did yeah um, speaking of we get some of Stan's magnificently funny pigeon German on page 8 there is a new guard detail It's coming to relieve us that is strange why are they almost 20 minutes early we will take off guard patrol now you are dismissed return to your barracks not so fast my hair you have not given us the password ah good man I was just testing you yeah I'm not making this up Bluthaven <laughs> this is in the comic yeah. that, that is that is the dialogue in the comic well, I like how they say duh I love good man I was just <laughs> testing you yeah like oh yeah we're gonna fall for this <laughs> Dino Minnelli can speak crap German mm. apparently alright fair enough Stan was very capable of putting some biting satire into his stories there's a wonderful little moment here where Gabe, who is the black officer, let's not forget from the last time we mentioned uh, Nick Fuhrer, he mentions aloud that if the Germans will be suspicious if they don't recognise any faces, and Reb says to him, one Nazi looks pretty much like any other. Yeah. That, it's kind of hard to see that Stan's not making a dig there, mm. isn't it? And I thought it was very funny and very clever. And uh, Stan was a lot smarter than a lot of people sometimes give him credit for, especially in these stories. Uh, the plan... Such as it is, does generate some tension as the team all split up to plant their explosives at different locations and then get the hell out of dodge. Of course, Fury is the one caught and the fisticuffs from the cover take place. There's a scene that I thought was a little bit dubious, where the guy points a Luger directly at his head and Nick does something. He pulls the magazine that releases the magazine from underneath. Yeah, he is it, pulls it is it that easy? To pull a magazine out of a gun that somebody is aiming at you, probably not. I I would lean perhaps in that direction. He doesn't also. even press a button or anything. He no, just pulls it. He out. just pulls it out. He just pulls the ammo clip out, doesn't <laughs> it? And you're like, what?
2: Because of course German guns are manufactured so badly that magazines just fall
0: out. Yeah, because the Germans were absolutely terrible at their jobs, weren't they? So you know, hmm. the underwater fight scene's great though. I liked that a great deal. I thought that was fantastic. And Stan does a really good job of milking the tension by cutting between various different howlers all getting to the rendezvous point and pushing it to the limit before detonating their payloads. Percy Pinkerton. (sighs) I mean, it's all, so far, it's so normal, isn't it? It's a standard issue of Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos, a traditional howler's tale that seems to be very influential on seminal 80s TV classic, The A-Team. But Stan isn't done with us just yet. After the mission is successfully completed, Fury returns home. And Stan, he does lay it on a little bit thick, doesn't he? Yeah. Well, by plotting that something is awry. Firstly, Sam Sawyer tries to tell him something. But he's interrupted because Fury doesn't want to listen. He wants to get straight over to Pam. And then the howler's raced after him to again give him the bad news before he gets there. I thought it was stretching credibility somewhat.
2: That he just ignored all that. That he
0: just ignored all of that. And that he waited till next morning to go and see Pamela. Mm. I mean, I suppose it's possible he had to attend debriefing and all that gubbins. And it's possible that word only reached them about her death this morning. Either way... The final page, as mentioned before, is drawn by Kirby, and he milks every ounce of pathos out of the scene, featuring three close-ups of Fury as his facial expressions run the gamut, from shock to disbelief to anguish, before the final four panels on the page concentrate almost exclusively on the engagement ring as it falls from Fury's hand. The final panel, the ring shining in the foreground as Fury walks away, shoulders slumped in the back, is a very effective final panel, with even Stan eschewing hyperbole and letting the tale simply end. It's an absolutely lovely piece of comics writing. One of the things notable about this strip and the series in general is how well this all holds together. Yes, we've had a little fun at the expense of how comical the Nazis are. And the Howlers' adventures, despite the impossible mission status, always seem to be carried out with a minimum of fuss but Stan and his collaborators really seemed to like this particular comic. We've mentioned in Fantasticast that a lot of early Marvel books like FFX, X-Men, Avengers, etc all followed the same basic template. Stuff happened then other stuff happened, then even more stuff happened and then it ends. But here as with The Amazing Spider-Man thought seemed to be going into plot progression and not as much silly stuff goes on Maybe this was because Lee and Kirby, and presumably most of the other staffers, had lived through World War Two, and they felt it needed to be treated a little more reverentially. But it's led to a comic that has rapidly become one of my favourites from the early days of Marvel. It feels there's the other criticism about the early Fantastic Four and Avengers and FF. There's a very much made-it-up-as-we-go-along feel to them. Yeah. Which gives them some of their appeal. This doesn't feel like that. This feels like it is plotted Mm. before they go into it. And a lot of these Howling Commandos adventures hold up quite well. Very rarely does the ultimate nullifier show up from nowhere to help them save the day. Yeah. Kind of thing. And I I really do like it. I really do like that. What did you think of it, Michael? I I liked it. And and even though I knew the
2: ending was coming, I I do think the, the last four panels. Yeah. I thought they were really good, but the dialogue was a bit heavy. There's a 60s Marvel comic. I guess. So much exaggeration in it, though.
0: Yeah, it's, it works just as well without those
2: yeah, yeah, word yeah. balloons, doesn't and it? you then got to think, she's in the air raid. That's quite a long, final...
0: Yeah. And who was there to hear <laughs> her say yeah, these yeah. things and, and stuff like that?
2: You know, Chinese whispers, maybe some guy heard and told, the, like, the military guy, you then told her dad. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's entirely possible her dad's just making Nick feel better. Yeah. And I do love that, um, in this final page, Nick Fury leaps to a conclusion when her dad says no. And he thinks he's saying, no, you're not marrying my daughter. Yeah. Which I thought was really funny, because he's like, you know, I may not be Lord Mountbatten, but I eat with a knife and fork. <laughs> Which does play in lovely to an earlier issue where they served him tea and he was like, what, what do I do with this? That was the one we covered last was time. Was yeah. Give me a mug. Yeah. And uh, the guy says, no, you know we think a lot of you and we'd be happy to have you marry a boat. And that's when he tells him, Kirby's art's brilliant in all those, those seven panels. Mm. Maybe perhaps it was originally for a different issue. Yeah. Which is why Kirby drew those two pages. Um, maybe it was the next issue. Yeah, or it's entirely possible Kirby didn't work in sequence. Yeah. kirby drew pages and then went back and drew earlier pages Cinema. so it may have been he was originally down to draw this issue so if you
2: rip out every single kirby page and put them all together yeah. in the order he did it it makes sense
0: no it's it's not that it's so much that they would change their ideas so yeah. much that he would shuffle pages around and stuff i liked it i thought this was it was absolutely fantastic uh, the following... Uh, fantastic. fantastic. What's fantastic? Fantastic. Fantastic. Fantastic, fantastic cast. <laughs> yeah. Stephen will we please. We're plugging that show a lot tonight. No. Go and listen to it. It's every Saturday. We're great. Every Saturday?
1: Yeah.
2: Oh. Why? It's because you record every Tuesday or Monday or every other Wednesday. Yeah, well, it has to
0: be edited. He's yeah. got to cut out all my, all my inane drivel. Well. The following issue, an eye for an eye, was a direct continuation. And has an enraged Fury obsessed with locating the man who led the bombing raid that killed Pamela. After he's ordered to take leave due to his condition, Fury tracks down General von Krumpt to Holland, a Luftwaffe commandant who specialises in bombing civilian targets, and Fury confronts and kills him. And deservedly so. It was all change for Fury in the next story. I'm sure it'll come as a shock to uh, listeners of the Fantasticast that I am (laughs) voluntarily... an issue of strange tales but you know you never know where life's going to take you do you never say never even Sean Connery said never say never did it he shouldn't have done, because Never Say Never Again is not very good, but whatever. <laughs> Strange Tales issue You 135 was a landmark issue for that long-running anthology title. Whilst the Doctor Strange strip by Steve Ditko and Stan Lee was still ongoing, and producing some of the weirdest stories Marvel would produce with some career best art from Ditko, the lead strip, first featuring the Human Torch in solo stories, and then the Human Torch and the Thing in team-up tales, had largely been stillborn from the start. The idea of taking the Human Torch and making him a solo star hadn't worked, largely because Johnny Stone wasn't that interesting of a personality, and adding the thing just made the reader wonder where the rest of the Fantastic Four were. In addition, the Human Torch solo strips contained some of the worst writing of any early Marvel book, with stories that were burly coherent, let alone consistent. Stan, however, was having a ball scripting Sergeant Fury and his howling commandos, and had been wondering for some time what Fury was up to now, the now being the present day 1960s. He'd already shown Fury as being a CIA agent in Fantastic Four issue 21, cover dated December 1963, but this had barely scraped the surface of what Lee was interested in, and when a slot in Strange Tales opened up, Lee decided to skirt the zeitgeist, steal a little Bond and man from Uncle Mojo, and update and reintroduce Nick Fury as an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. In many ways, the cover date of this inaugural story, Strange Tales 135, from August of 1965, can be considered at part of Nick Fury Month for Marvel, featuring not only this issue, but also Sgt. Fury issue 21, and the first Howling Commandos annual. In an early example of discontinuity, Fury had appeared, as already mentioned in FF21, but with his left eye intact, only for it to be missing in this issue. How Fury lost his left eye would be a story told in Howling Commandos issue 27, a story still set in the war, implying Stan forgot all about FF21. Way. Inconsistent. I, I am shocked by your claims of inconsistency, sir. There is no basis in fact for them. Well, all right, maybe a little basis in fact. Maybe every comic in the row. <laughs> maybe. The cover is by Jack Kirby and Frank Gaiacoya. Billed as the greatest action thriller of all time. A green-suited member of Hydra, cut off a limb and two more shall take their place, lunges at Fury, who is seen drawing his weapon from a shoulder holster. Oddly, he's been x-rayed at the same time. Truthfully, it doesn't make a whole hell of a lot of sense. (laughs) But it's dynamic and exciting and eye-catching and all the things that you expect a cover to be. So it doesn't need to make a lot of sense. So it doesn't need to make sense when it's cool. Mm. Just ask Steve McQueen. The Man for the Job was written by Stan Lee with art by Jack Kirby and Dickers lettered by Art Symak. It's labelled as both the latest and possibly greatest creation of Marvel and the crowning achievement of Marvel's magnificent renaissance of comics. Don't sell it short, Stan. Nick Fury is called to the Pentagon to be duplicated as a life-model decoy, a precautionary measure that turns out to be wholly necessary, as four such decoys are shot within minutes of reaching the street. The real Fury is bundled into a Porsche and whisked away, but a foreign fighter jet, because all foreigners are the enemy, napalms the car. Fortunately, the car is prepared for such an eventuality, and two Sidewinder missiles are released from the car, destroying the jet. Evading such further attacks, the car becomes airborne and takes to the skies. Lola Marwan. Lola yeah. Elsewhere, operatives of a shadowy organization called Hydra cut off a limb, and two more shall take their place. Punish the agent responsible. Michael just did the hail Hydra salute. Punish the agent responsible for allowing Fury to escape, and promote a new agent, and called only Agent H to the Circle of Assassins. The first time such an honor has been bestowed upon a woman. Arriving at his destination, Fury is told of Hydra and of Shield by Tony Stark, and at a meeting of the world's leaders. Fury is offered the gig as Director General of the whole organisation. Before he can refuse, Fury spots a booby trap, a bomb planted by Hydra to take out this assemblage of dignitaries and hurls it out of the window of a flying carrier. With no time to admire the view, Fury barks orders to locate whoever planted this bomb while simultaneously slagging off security, and he realises that if they could get there, Hydra, cut off a limb and two more shall take their place, can get anywhere. Tony Stark announces Nick Fury as leader of SHIELD. Tony Stark
2: needs to get back being Iron Man.
0: Today. Yeah, Tony Stark wasn't busy today. <laughs> no, no. Day off. <laughs> Day
2: off being Iron Man. <laughs> the Mandarin's filming the new Pepsi advert.
0: Or <laughs> <laughs> watching the football. <laughs> uh, the Splash Page uh, is on the one hand, it's absolutely fantastic. If a little out of proportion. If a lot out of proportion. <laughs> Uh, Nick Fury's in some kind of sponge with um, a piece of Kirby tech right in between his legs which I'd be very careful of if I was Nick while a bunch of technicians are all around him saying things like ready for operation and all recording devices registered A-OK and doing symbols that mean OK and, and stuff <laughs> like that my only complaint with it, it, does it not affect the life model decoy if Fury refuses to remove his cigar <laughs> even while he's being scanned for an LMD? Uh, does it not leave a hole in the LMD's mouth where it can't scan him properly? Or, or
2: maybe the models will have permanent cigars. But, um... <laughs>
0: LMDs, I was always, always skewed, just in the mouth. They <laughs> you never know, take it out. And that's ultimately how Hydra, cut off a limit too much, and take their place, <laughs> are able to spot that they're fakes. Yeah. That makes sense, I suppose. There's a, a technician here who says, Don't move, Fury. Don't even breathe. The slightest error can cause your death.
2: It's not a very
0: good sense if it can kill him. Yeah, that's why? a bit of a design flaw. Why would they create a... a procedure <laughs> that. Kills you if you move.
2: <laughs> it made no sense. And then to tell him that you would die doing it, because when he tells you, he's going to want to move.
3: Yeah,
0: and it's because it's one of those things the minute he
3: tells him that, he's going to want to scratch his <laughs> nose, yeah. isn't he?
0: It? It's like, as soon as somebody tells you to not do something. bit of ash from his cigar falls in his and, he and he's like, ah! he burns himself. He's burning off my furies. And he. No, so I, I didn't understand how lo- making a life model decoy can kill you. <laughs> Surely. They would have run that few a few more (laughs) test models before they put it into operation. One would have thought that. One would have thought that Tony Stark would not have let that go through. (laughs) Page two of the story after the, the exceptional last page. The crew asked for four LMDs to be created immediately and Fury is whisked away without knowing why. Kirby's out at this, these, these panels is fantastic. It's all busy. There's a lot going on. Stan feels the need to have every single person say something <laughs> because he's Stan. It's a great introduction to the story, because Fury, like us, doesn't know what's going on. The central character is as much in the dark as we, the reader, are, so we find out what's going on when he does. Whilst there would still be some sloppy stories down the line, we're seeing here a Marvel firing on all cylinders in terms of its plotting. Uh, We get to page three. Shield say they know that Fury has a hit on him.
1: Hmm.
0: Why do they not attempt, therefore, to capture the hitmen? Would that not have made more sense? They would have had a Hydra agent in captivity. I mean, this does play nicely into the plot that somebody inside S.H.I.E.L.D. was feeding Hydra intel. But I I actually thought more could have been made of this. Yeah. And maybe they could have stretched that out a bit more. But when you've only got 12 pages to tell your story, economy becomes the watchword, doesn't it? I did not like that Fury gets in a Porsche. Why? A Porsche is a German car. Ah. Nick Fury fought in World War II. Now, I know what you're thinking, and you're right. It's a bit pedantic. Yes. And, you know, the war's over, and Fury has probably moved on. The Germans aren't his enemy anymore. Mm-hmm. But there was a part of me, a little part of me, that followed that Sergeant Fury and his hourly commandos issue by having G- Fury ride a German car... Yeah. I thought it was, uh, <laughs> but no, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's nothing wrong with a Porsche. It's perfectly acceptable. I'm not getting in this. Get me a Ford. Yeah, it's 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 not a a Mini or a Jag, is it? Let's mm. be honest. He probably would drive a Ford. Would he? A Mustang, yeah. Uh, I, I can see if you're in a Mustang,
2: mm-hmm.
0: like bullet.
2: Yeah, yeah. And then it becomes Nick Fury P.I. Fury
0: (laughs) P.I. Fury P.I. is a show I would watch. Mm -hmm. I would totally watch Fury P.I.
2: You'd watch anything with P.I. in the title. I would watch anything with
0: P.I. in the title. That's very true. Uh, Hydra, always capitalised, even though it doesn't seem to be an acronym, uses napalm on Fury and his driver. Does that
2: mean, if it's all in capitals, does that mean you have to yell it? Hydra! Yeah.
0: Because off a limb, too much will take its place. You have to say that every time you say hi. Every time. Yeah, and you have to do the salute, no, like me. you did. So, well done, you are an agent <laughs> of Hydra. Do you look good in green? Uh, no. <laughs>
2: I'll just have to wear one of the funny beehive things. <laughs> Not your colour, green.
0: <laughs> um, i got to get over using napalm in a crowded area. I mean, uh, napalm would first be used in the European theatre of war, but it would receive much more widespread notoriety after being that photo, that Vietnamese photo, have you ever seen that one? Of everyone fleeing and there's a little naked girl in the middle of the photo. It's a no. very famous Vietnam War photo. Mm. And following that, I think napalm would be outlawed by the, the UN. Yeah. Um, I think it may still get used in various places, but it is, is encouraged. Is that hydries, isn't it? That, that would be, well, Vietnam was after this, wasn't it? Yeah. So. Uh, page five, the shield car fires sidewind and missiles at the foreign fighter jet. <laughs> I didn't understand why it was a foreign fighter jet when Hydra seemed to be domestic terrorists? May, maybe... Uh... Or, or maybe all foreigners are evil. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That could be it. May, maybe
2: Hydra using uh, German technology. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, at this point it'd be Russian technology, wouldn't it? Yeah. The Germans are good guys now. Well, the Germans are working for Russia. As if inspired the fact that we're driving around in a Porsche. Maybe,
2: well, because the whole Cold War half-German scientists work for America and Russia. Maybe S.H.I.E.L.D. Have German scientists working for them and Hydra German scientists working for them.
0: That could be. Mm. Mm, good point. The
2: Shield Hydra Cold War. That isn't exactly a Cold War because they're you know because they're actually fighting directly fighting each, fighting each, each
0: other. <laughs> yeah. Uh technically Sidewinders are uh, to a to missiles. hmm So given that the car can yeah, fly have to be flying first. I would I'll 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 accept this.
2: Yeah. But yeah. I like how the the driver's still smoking a pipe. Yeah, I love how the driver is completely nonplussed by all of this. A foreign
0: jet. A a foreign jet. (laughs) Let's not forget the foreign part. He's fighting a foreign jet. He casually lights a cigar as the sidewinder missiles launch from the back of the car. and blow up the jet <laughs> right above his head and he's just ah oh, another day at the office <laughs> it's quite a dull one actually and then the car flies Yeah, come on that panel where the car flies is awesome mm-hmm. in fact that middle panel on page 5 where the car actually turns into Lola One. Yeah, that was pretty much shot for shot from the first episode of Agents of Shield, wasn't it? Mm. They actually did. That is pretty much the same camera angles and the same shots. It's brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. And Kirby's art is magnificent. What did you think of Kirby's art in this one? Uh, it was fine enough. It was fine enough. It's it's Marvel Kirby and DC Kirby was better. Get out! <laughs> I thought the art in this was this sequence here. This little action beat between the Porsche and the foreign fighter jet <laughs> was absolutely fantastic. Absolutely great action scene. I'm absolutely not, loved it. Not arguing with you though. Thought it was brilliant. I oh Oh! Go, what? Can you imagine if they do this in an episode of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Having invited a foreign jet. Yeah! Yet. Lola versus a foreign fighter jet. <laughs> That'd be awesome! Yeah. Oh, dear Joss Whedon. They don't actually use Lola in it though? No, she kind of just sits there in the back of the bloody plane, doesn't she? No. I waiting for it to get blown up. It's a cool looking plane. Yeah, oh, a cool yeah looking Joss plane.
2: Whedon doesn't kill off
0: your favourite character this time; it kills. He's going to blow the car. car. Yeah. <laughs> Page six. I don't see the logic of a two-way video phone that sees the back of your head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The guy, the Hydra agent who's spying on him unbeknownst, is uh, has a, a motorcycle helmet that has a two-way vid phone in the helmet. So most of the time, the helmet is surely on his head. Yeah. So what use is that? <laughs> Unless he's going to point out to him that he's got dandruff. <laughs> I, I didn't get that well, at all. How, how
2: thick do you think the helmet is
0: to have the TV and the programming in it? <laughs> no, that, that was, that was a, a technological jump. More cool would have been if the TV was in his goggles. Yeah. So he could have been looking at the TV while he had his motorcycle goggles on. I'd have bought that. Mm-hmm. But great shot of the back of your head, it? Jules. <laughs> Ah oh, damn it! Agent
2: 2276 report for a shower when you
0: get back <laughs> Agent 2276 your hair is greasy dude take two bottles into the shower uh, the Hydra scene that crops up rather randomly in the middle of the story is so much of a rip off of Spectre it's surprising there wasn't a lawsuit, the Hydra commander is a pit bull dog instead of a cat <laughs> but the agent who failed is still put to death for his transgressions is it not like a panther? Or Is, a puma. It? Is it a panther? It could be a panther or a puma, which would fit into the whole cat motif. Yeah. Wouldn't it? Yeah, I thought it was a pit bull dog, but you could be right, it could be a panther. I, I
2: love how not only does he make them fight to the death, but he puts them on pendulums yeah, totally could even both. to make them fight to the death. Yeah, everyone around him set sticks on fire. <laughs> I love as well. I love that the Hydra outfits made them look fat. <laughs> They're very
0: unflattering outfits, aren't
2: they? I, I like the he's got, Oh, he's got the laser gun. I'm, I'm, I'm on. I'm <laughs> so fighting like a man, pussy.
0: <laughs> I can only imagine that those unflattering outfits is why they've not had a woman agent before. <laughs> yeah. You've got woman Hydra agents who are like, I am not wearing that rug. <laughs> it's a fashion faux
2: pas. <laughs> not no. happening. Get get some uh, French high class designers in yeah. Hydra. Yeah.
0: get Hydra to get some quality dress designers in. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> Hydra on the cover of Vogue. <laughs>
2: Cosmopolitan yeah. five tips to get your Hydra love to bed. <laughs>
0: you won't be cutting off a limb though <laughs> uh, there are good seeds for the future with the introduction of adrian h but um I mean, i'm sure she'll become very important later on h for her h for him yeah probably than the her hydra yeah. get it yeah. Uh, Page 8, Tony Stark here is still referred to as an arms inventor, and Fury believes, although it's not confirmed in the story itself, that Stark may be bankrolling some of S.H.I.E.L.D., or at least providing them with weapons and support. He's certainly important enough to have a say in who runs S.H.I.E.L.D., even if his very melodramatic way of demonstrating how S.H.I.E.L.D. must bring down the agents of Hydra is a little over the top. Mm. He has them wheel in a huge model of the Earth, a huge globe, and it's covered with tentacles to say that Hydra is encapsulating the globe. Yeah. And then he blows a hole in it with a gun. He blows the world up. Yeah. To say that this is what will happen to the Earth if Hydra take control. <laughs> we'll cut the
2: head off the problem, rather <laughs> than fighting Hydra head off, just blow up the Earth and make sure there's nothing for it to conquer.
0: <laughs> Shield will destroy the Earth instead of letting Hydra Shield take over. Shield is Team
2: America. <laughs>
0: Oh, well, as long as they don't go to paris, <laughs> everything's okay. Page eleven is a full page shot of the Heli carrier. Uh, I think it's Kirby at his absolute finest. I love like the planes flying around. I love, all I love how far away we are. I love the planes that are all flying around it. I love the fact that Air Force One yeah. is the Because th- the world leaders are all in this meeting. Presumably the President as well.
2: So is it Air Force One at this moment? So,
0: well, if it's in the Air, isn't it Air Force One? I
2: thought it was if it, if it was in the Air of the President, in
0: it? So technically then, that helicarrier is Air Force One. Yeah. Because the President's on the helicarrier. Yeah. Isn't that how it works? Could be. Harrison Forbes on that plane, <laughs> saying, Get off my plane! <laughs> i shaking his finger of doom at you. <laughs> I could totally go with that. Uh, judicious use of a full page splash in a story only 11 pages long for maximum effect. I thought this was pretty magnificent. The helicarrier here looks more like a motorised dirigible rather than a flying aircraft carrier, but it makes it plain that aircraft do land and take off from the top, and there are a fleet of jets and helicopters surrounding it. The horizon is visible, and because Kirby doesn't just chuck stuff like this in for the hell of it, the explosive fury hurls out of the window is seen exploding outside. It is easy to mock this. A little bit. What with the lack of attention paid to aircraft decompression and how annoyed a pilot would have been if, when Fury threw the bomb out of the window, it would have hit them. Blow the wing. It like, blew the wing off the Yeah, there, yeah it totally did. But it's such a cool moment of comics magnificence that the film couldn't even begin to match until The Avengers. Hmm. You know, if you'd have done the helicarrier before The Avengers, you would have just gone, no, yeah. that looks silly. I I just just thought this was fantastic. Forget about the science stuff (laughs) and just look at how great that page is. Absolutely wonderful, or at least I thought it was. What did you think of it, Voice of Descent? That page? Yeah, that page. I liked it. It's awesome. It's a very different helicarrier
2: to the one that is around. Yeah, the one that we're more used to. This one's a lot taller,
0: bulkier. This one looks more like the QE2 flying rather than a traditional aircraft carrier flying. Mm. But it still it still does the job, and I still think it's pretty damn good. How long was it until this one blew up? The Helicarrier didn't crash or blow up until John Byrne blew it up in the She-Hulk graphic novel in about 1985. And then Jeff Loeb read it and went, ah. And then ever since then, everyone's just thought, let's blow them uh, all. That come with an idea. Yeah, so so it stops being special when everybody does it it seems a bit silly uh, page 12 the story is wrapped up a little bit too quickly the saboteur is caught off panel although having Fury chew out security was a nice touch mm. we're well, using charge of security here. well technically <laughs> Nick you are now well, that, fire that, them off that just changes things doesn't it? <laughs> security here is top notch um, one half issue story 12 pages and in this half-issue, 12-page story, we are introduced to Nick Fury, just in case you haven't been reading the Howling Commandos, life-model decoys, flying cars, Hydra, cut off a limb and two more shall take their place, S.H.I.E.L.D., the heli carrier. And we're given the setup for the series that follows.
2: And Tony Stark, if you're happy reading
0: Iron Man. Tony Stark, yeah, I don't know if it's an introduction, but you've shown that Tony Stark is something to do with S.H.I.E.L.D. Do
2: you reckon he's Iron Man at this point?
0: Yeah, because this ties into the whole wider Marvel universe. This issue arrived roughly around the time Reed and Sue got married. Mm. So Iron Man was being published at this but point. Wasn't
2: that cover or a splash page where he's fallen out of the helicarrier? turning into Iron Man.
0: Yeah, but that's later than this, isn't it? Yeah. So pretty much any one of these ideas explode properly could have been the basis of an entire issue. But here they're all just tossed at us as par for the course. And we are tacitly promised an adventure series that not only takes the grizzled hero of the Howling Commandos, but throws him into a James Bond milieu with gadgets that would make Q-Branch Jade with Envy. The story is magnificently fast-paced, moving from one event to another, but unlike earlier stories by Stan and Jack, here the events make sense and play into the whole narrative thrust of the issue. Basically, showing why Fury is the right man for the gig. The fact that he doesn't want it makes him even more relatable, as the last person who should be given power are those that crave it. There are subtle hints at the beginning, with the LMDs being picked off, that there is a spy in S.H.I.E.L.D., and the end of the story confirms this, although no big deal is made of the fact they have a Hydra employee in custody. And the ending is quite melancholy, with Fury taking the job for the sake of the free world. It is very much a product of its time, but also, strangely, still timely. Yes, there are bondisms and the whole the enemy could be your neighbour communism subtext we've talked about before when discussing comics of this vintage. But you only have to look at how writers nowadays are obsessed with terrorism networks and covert cells working from within to see that both good and bad writers are influenced by the political and social mores of the time. Viewed in that light, this actually holds up very well. In fact whilst being a little derivative of the spy mania of the times this is such a thrill ride of an issue I think you have to be a real curmudgeon not to like it the art by Kirby is pretty much reality based well as real as a 60's Marvel comic gets so the flashes of fantasy the ur the heli-carrier are even more exciting an excellent beginning to the series what did you think Michael? I really liked it it's fun isn't it was
2: that the first post World War 2 Nick Fury story
0: After his appearance in Fantastic Four 21, yes. Alright, so was
2: that it? He just went straight from World War Two to that? Yeah. There was no Frozen and Carbonite? No.
1: Fair
0: enough. No, later on we'll discuss... Well, if you think about it, at the time, World War Two was still only 20 years before. And if you accept that Nick was about, what, 29 to 31 in World War Two, he's in his early 50s Yeah. by the time he takes over S.H.I.E.L.D., which is a perfectly acceptable age. To yeah. be running a huge organisation. It's only as time has gone on... And people have gone... Wait a minute... Why is Nick Fury not ageing? That they came up with that whole... Infinity Formula thing. Was it not the Super Soldier Serum? No, he's <laughs> is the Infinity Formula... Right. That keeps him young... For a certain amount of time. But they have slowly started ageing him recently... Haven't they? Yeah, he was quite old... In Avengers. Yeah, so is the Infinity Formula... Wearing off? See, all these little hints were my thinking they're leading <laughs> to getting rid of no, him. that's just your um, cynicism towards comics. Yes, but it's it's them getting rid of him to replace him with Samuel L. Jackson. That's my thinking. Yeah. I think that's what's going to happen. Finally tonight... Strange Tales 168, cover dated May 1968, wrapped up Fury's adventures in that mag, as he prepared to be spun off into his own title, Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. By this point, Stan and his pals had spun off into other books and other responsibilities, and the strip had been handed over first to Roy Thomas and then to Jim Steranko. We did an entire episode devoted to Steranko and his three-issue Captain America run not too long ago, so rather than detail the man's colourful career again, I urge you to go and listen to that episode... Available on 2 hmm. It's very good. I'm such a whore. You are. I you could go check out the man's Twitter, which is hilarious. Which is hilarious. Yes. Absolutely magnificent. Uh, the cover's irrelevant to us because it's Doctor Strange, but the Nick Fury story is entitled Today Earth Die. It's by Lee, Storanko, Sinnott, and Rosen. Why Stan, who was the editor at this point and not the writer, gets top billing is a mystery that perhaps even Poirot could not solve. <laughs> As Nick Fury files his report on the recent yellow claw affair, he dozes off, but is awakened by a buzzer informing him of a strange aerial phenomena over New York. Jumping into his jag, Fury makes the scene. He arrives to see a golden man addressing the citizens of New York, stating that he comes in peace and offers mankind the prism of miracles. Fury takes point and states that he will get it to the necessary people, and the Golden Man invites him into his UFO. Nick Fury's obviously never watched the thing about not dealing with strangers. Dugan and the Countessa have arrived and enter with him, but the Countessa's image scanner reveals that the Golden Man is not what he seems. Unleashing a blast of devastating energy, he fries Dugan and the Countessa, but Fury throws a mould cocoon pellet at the Golden Man before he fries him and grabs his headband as the pellet reveals the Golden Man's. True form, an indescribable being from another dimension. Fury dons the headband, hoping it will turn him into an alien being and enable him to combat the beast. But the alien replies that the prism of miracles is a world-killing machine, as he has judged the human race unworthy. Fury is too late, and the Earth is destroyed. The end. Not quite carrying on, really, is there? No, no. Kind of lost,
2: didn't we? Well, next week on Higgins Comics... There is no next week, <laughs>
0: That's
2: dead. It's a bit of a downer.
0: It is. I'm, I'm,
2: I don't know what to make of that. Well, I don't know what to do with my time, now.
0: A cold, clammy fury is awakened by uh, Dugan. Um, yeah. Who tells him he was having a doozy of a dream? <laughs> <laughs> fury is sweaty and Dugan says he needs to work out the kinks in the gym. After they check out those reports on the news of a UFO over New York. Fury falls off Jack Goldblum. (laughs) Will Smith. Uh, The splash page to this issue is utterly magnificent. Nick sits in a chair dictating his report into a microphone. But because this is a Marvel comic of the 1960s, the microphone is Kirby Tech as is the strange video screen behind Nick. Fury himself is sat in a standard leather chair, leaning back with his feet on the table and cigar in mouth. The credits are sparse. Lee, Steranko, Sinnott, Rosen. And the title of the story is large letters taking up a third of the page, starting off jet black and fading to grey as, in the lettering, a mushroom cloud billows. Why I find this so stunning, I can't say. But I suspect it is that Marvel mix of the perfectly normal... And the Fantastic. Despite his futuristic technology, Nick is still a normal man. His shirt is open at the neck after a long day at work and his feet are on the table. It may be a Kirby-inspired table in a Kirby-inspired room, but Nick's humanity is what sells the image. Do you like that? Mm Because I know you like Stranko stuff, don't you? Yeah, well, I really like this issue. It is gold. It's an exceptionally good story. Uh, Page two of this illustrious story. Whilst I was reading this, Angela, my beloved wife, looked over my shoulder and said, I thought you were reading a comic. She was referencing the sheer amount of text on this page, which is plentiful. There's probably more text on this page than in an entire comic, comic of more recent vintage. I won't be mentioning any names. <laughs> you went to the Bendis, well, or not me. Most of the dialogue references the last storyline, which was a sprawling epic concerning the Yellow Claw. The image on the view screen on panel three looks like a photograph. Making Sturanko a pioneer in this regard. Kirby would also do photo collages, but it would be later artists like John Byrne and Todd McFarlane, amongst others, who would use actual photos in their work. We will see more of this later.
2: I have like a little panel at the bottom of it.
0: But where he's jumping into the jag.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, it is pretty cool. Like multiple Furies mm. leaping in. Uh, I suspect this played better for readers at the time. But for me reading this now, I thought the ending was telegraphed here on page two. Yeah. Where he dozes off in panel two. Oh, yeah. Did you not get that? No. I, that totally telegraphed the ending for me. Alright, oh, he's just fallen asleep. Hmm. I watch too many Jerry Anderson shows, though. Mm. That's my problem. Uh, after riding a Porsche in the last story we covered, it's nice to see Fury here riding a much better class of car, a Jaguar XKE. Yeah. Jags are British. So why is Fury driving one? Because Fury knows which side is bread's buttered, <laughs> dude. Shield does now. Shield doesn't have half of its gadgets without us. Major Boothroyd... You no, know it goes to those German scientists. <laughs> was sent over to help Tony Stark with designing all the Shield tech. Right, right, totally. Did they get the Scottish guy as
2: well to help them with the drills?
0: <laughs> <laughs> have they got Gene? What was the name? Fitz and Simmons. Yeah. Working on it. Page three. Is a wonderful page, it's two long panels, one smaller than the other one, both running the length of the page. And I love the lady at the top who says, I don't want to get involved, but what are you going to do about it? To the cops, as the alien appears above, (laughs) Uh, dumping the problem on somebody else. I like the cop as well, isn't the cop like, what do you want me to do about it, lady? It's going to happen on somebody else's beat. Uh, the page is stolen, however, by the second panel, which runs the entire length of the page, and is a true Sturanko. The spaceship lands in New York, a real photo of New York, and the ship is sleek-looking like the landing capsule of the Apollo rockets, but with three tentacle-like nacelles.
2: It looks like the ship from uh, Blake 7.
0: It does look a bit like Liberator. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. It does look a bit like Liberator. Well, put, well spotted. Uh, I thought what sold it was the surrounding lights. Yeah. The lights show around the ship as it comes the into land. Light. Yeah, the, the 2001 lights. Does this predate 2001? It does, doesn't that. it? Yeah. Yeah, it does. It predates that. It's a psychedelic kaleidoscope of colour around the ship, the top half of which is totally a naked woman.
2: <laughs> well, it is to <laughs> yeah. Is it only me that sees
0: that? Or well, now you've pointed it now out. Now that I've pointed it out, that's <laughs> totally a naked woman, isn't it? I'm willing to, to, to go with it's just me. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. you know I see naked women in toast because <laughs> that's how you butter it Yeah, let's see what pictures I can draw to yeah, see what I can draw in the <laughs> butter uh, page 4 lip service is paid to the fantastic for being here but they're never seen and as the golden man descends on his landing platform the image behind him is again a real photograph what do you think of they using real photographs in the comic
2: I didn't notice in this actually did you not no
0: because that's definitely just a real photo, isn't it? Doctored, yeah, but it's a real photo. I really liked it. I thought it was really impressive. Because mm. it's never look at this. It's a real photo. It's never obvious, is it? No, it's but better it, than some other uses. Yeah, it really does play very well into this re- remarkably this remarkably fantastic story playing out in the real world. It's really good. Mm. Page 5 We have a full page shot of Fury's girlfriend and fellow agent, the Countessa Valentina Allegra de Fontaine. According to Comic Book Legends Revealed on Comic Book Resources, the bottomly area, the shapely bottom of the Countessa, yeah. was shaded a bit more, so it wasn't quite so pronounced. Uh, I think is the word I'm looking for. It lost a bit of stiranko. It lost a bit of definition in yeah. her botocal region. Yes. Page six is another page full of text and some great panelling. There are seven panels on the page, with one large one featuring three panels as insets, and three panels that run the length of the page. To Storanko's credit, his layouts are always easily readable and never hard to discern what's going on. I never felt lost when I was reading this story. No. Even though some of the panel layout is quite frankly wacky. Mm. But it's, it's good work, isn't it? Exceptionally good work. There's a little bit of inadvertent sexism on this page. The Countessa senses something is wrong with her women's intuition. Because as we all know from listening to the Fantasticast, Stan Lee thinks woman's intuition is a superpower. Yeah. He totally thinks that. Sue has many times spotted danger thanks to her women's <laughs> intuition. And you're like, Stan, it's not like Spider-Man's Spider-Sense. Well, how do you know? That's not how it works! Maybe it's the universal secret women keep. Uh, well, they don't tell us. No, no. I would totally buy that. Mm. Women's intuition is like spider sense. Yeah. It warns them of trouble. I, I, can, I can believe that, and I can believe they keep it to themselves. <laughs> um, it's Fury who points out that the equipment and furniture isn't shit for a human body. Whereas her women's intuition told us something was wrong. He mm. should have listened to her, quite frankly. I do have to say... The flow of the story is hurt on page seven by a two-panel interlude about Jimmy Woo, a character from a past storyline who has nothing to do with this issue. It comes out of nowhere, yeah, doesn't it? It spoils the story slightly as readers are sat there going, "What the hell was that?"
2: Yeah, I didn't know who he
0: was. Yeah, because it's never even referenced again, is it? No. I mean, yes, Fury's dictating the notes to him at the beginning, or he mentions Jimmy Woo. Yeah, but. This bit came out of nowhere, didn't it? Mm. And you're like, huh? I know Storenko's continuing subplots and setting up Nick Fury, Agent of Seal, but this it just wasn't organic in any way at all. And you could probably comfortably skip those top two panels of that page. Um, on page eight, if you didn't pick up the clue that something was amiss on page two, the fact that Dugan and the Countess are fried on page eight may clue you into something being a little wrong. Not a lot left of them. I
2: don't know. I, ca- I kind of
0: liked that. Oh, I liked it. Yeah. But you kind of going. They won't have killed Dugan.
2: In fact, I'd be perfectly happy if they did kill off all the characters, and that was
1: it—the
0: end of it. <laughs> well, this is how Nick Fury's Shield strip ended in Strange Tales. Yeah. Everybody died. Yeah. <laughs> Another Black Seven reference. Then <laughs> everyone gets killed off. And then the next, and then his his
2: own series would start off with. Him crawling out of some fire, and but he's okay. God, I barely made it alive. And he he
0: makes a new shield yeah. of entirely new people. He rebuilds it from scratch. Alright, fair enough. Page nine's gorgeous, absolutely fantastic. Uh, it's a photo collage of the moon, full and heavy in the sky, as New York just melts away and people flee in terror. It's an absolutely wonderful way mm. of stretching the comics medium. It's very Kirby. Well, Steranko did start off as a Kirby clone. Yeah. And over the issues, he he developed his own style. the same way Bill Sinkovich started as a Neil Adams clone.
2: Yeah. And has gone to uh, Dave McKean.
0: Yeah, well, he was before Dave McKean. Yeah. So Dave McKean may have got a bit from Bill Sinkovich. But I love that page. I think that page absolutely fantastic. It
2: looks very vertigo as well.
0: Yeah. The the planet and the buildings and the, the Earth just melting because of whatever that prism of... The R, I think. Yeah, the prism of story device was. Well. <laughs> and it was all a dream. Of course. Of course it was. Nick Fury wakes up. And, that you is know, the ultimate
2: cop-out, isn't it? It is, it? is
0: yeah. It, it is an absolutely cop Wonderful. It is a cop-out, totally. Uh, I did like the ending that implied that it may have been a prophetic dream. Yeah. Because that ending was just crying out for Rod Serling to walk on. And give you yeah. one of his stirring monologues, wasn't it? I thought... I, so I, I did like Nick the ending. has just taken a trip into the Twilight Zone. <laughs> yeah, that actually works, doesn't it? Yeah.
3: do do, 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 do.
0: Totally. And, um, and then when Agents of
2: S.H.I.E.L.D. started, it was never mentioned again. Yeah,
0: they never mentioned this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just move on. Forget all about <laughs> it. <laughs> Uh, I, I loved this story. I thought the art was fantastic. I thought it was a great read. Uh, the ending was telegraphed for me, anyway, because I'd watched too many Jerry Anderson series as a kid. So page two, when he fell asleep, I was all oh, right. It's going to be one of them.
2: You're just expecting a... yeah, because
0: fades into yeah. There was tons of Jerry Anderson shows. Were it was all a dream. I'm sure there was an episode of Captain Scarlet. There was definitely an episode of UFO. Which had my 13-year-old self just yelling at the TV, going, No! (laughs) When it turns out that it was all a dream. But it shouldn't have played out as well as it did because of that. But Staranko does a fantastic job on the art. And there's enough going on in this short 11-page story that it manages to gloss over the cracks, especially the ending, which implies this may still all come to pass, although it's never referenced again. Mm. So... Uh, Steranko stayed on the shield strip for a relatively short time, but his influence was massive, with even Neil Adams doing a Steranko background in one of his panels that actually spelt the, the name Steranko yeah in the artwork. Did you like that one? I think you've already said you did. Right, that you? was my favourite of the three. Was it? Why? Yeah. I like my
2: doom and gloom stories. What, where
0: everyone dies? <laughs> yeah. Right, fair
2: enough. The best ending's the one where no one gets to see the end
0: of them. No one gets out alive. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. So that was the beginning of Nick Fury's career on the Howling Commandos. The beginning of his career taking over as an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. And then a story just from Steranko's run because we love some Steranko. That was pretty much the only reason that that made the grade. However, next time... Nick Fury actually does die at the end of it. End of it. Yeah, Nick Fury died. There is no next time. Yeah. Next week, part two of this, we will be looking at the Fury Max mini-series by Garth Ennis. Uh, tw- no, it was a 13-issue series, wasn't it? A 13-issue series entitled My War Gone By. Mm-hmm. We'll be looking at all 13 issues of that next time. Hopefully you like Actually, you've not read it yet. No, i am not. Okey-doke. So, thank you very much for joining us. We hope you enjoyed that little trip down Nick Fury memory lane.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: We did Weird. Well, I did. Anyway. And we will see you next week. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye.
1: There's a man who leads a life of danger To everyone he meets, he stays a stranger With every move he makes Another chance he takes That you find A pretty face can hide An evil mind Oh, be careful what you say I'm yeah. <laughs>
0: find work for idle hands to do production the music and sound clips used in the show are copyright their respective copyright holders and are used for review and illustrative purposes only and no infringement is intended so don't send your phalanx of highly paid lawyers after us as we have no money certainly this show is not turned into a lucrative revenue stream as no money is made from this either which vexes us the opinions of Michael and Andrew expressed in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and no one else. They own them, cherish them, and look after them, but are probably not to be taken too seriously. New episodes drop every Thursday at truefreaks.com And Hey Kids Comics is a part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, your one-stop shop for a plethora of truly fine shows. Join in the fun. We have a website where you can see the covers of the comics we've covered at www.haykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com and we can be emailed directly at heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. We can also be friended on Facebook by using Hey Kids, all one word, as the first name and comics as the surname. We also have a forum, www.forumforgeeks.com. We do hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics.